Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast, episode number two. Home improvements, home renovations, home maintenance, home repairs, and all the other challenges of home ownership. Welcome to the Thumb and Hammer Home Improvement Podcast. Well, hello there. My name is Doug, and this is the second episode of the Thumb and Hammer Podcast, and is coming to you from that house. You know, that one house that manages to bring down the property values of the other houses around it. <laughs> There's at least one in every neighborhood. And on our road, as much as I hate to admit it, that house belongs to us. Oh, you live in that house. Yeah, yeah, we do. But you know what? It was already that way when we bought it in 2003. I just didn't realize it at the time. I mean, we had been to a lot of open houses, and this one was certainly not the worst we'd seen. In fact, we thought it was pretty decent. But compared to houses in this area, it turns out that it was that house. This is not something I'm proud of, but in the decade we've lived here, we have done nothing to improve the outward appearance. And I gotta tell you, my mother would not be impressed. As I mentioned in episode one, my mother, may she rest in peace, was a perfectionist. She was a full-time housewife, spent her days cleaning the house and cooking dinner. That was her life. And our house, the house where I grew up, was immaculate. A place for everything and everything in its place and not a speck of dust to be found anywhere. You knew that things were clean without ever having to do the white glove test. And believe me, she made sure things were kept that way. She had extremely high expectations when it came to that sort of thing. Mom took care of the inside of the house, and my dad took care of the outside. And I did a little from column A and a little from column B, helping my mother with the housework as well as helping look after the yards and the outside of the house. Everything had to be done according to my mom's instructions, as well as meet her high standards. Windows, eaves troughs, vinyl siding all had to be washed at least once a month. And hopefully we wouldn't get any rain for at least a week after they were cleaned, lest there be any water spots on the windows. Our lawns were like carpets, neatly trimmed and cut short and watered daily. My father and I split on the lawn cutting chore, which also included pulling up any weeds by hand. In the fall, while trees were still dropping their leaves, our yards were still spotless. Raking the leaves was one of my daily chores. And if uh, if more leaves fell between the time I raked and the time my mother inspected my work, well, guess you had to go right back outside to pick up whatever had fallen. Okay, so it turns out that my mother was treading the line between perfectionism and obsessive compulsiveness. To say that she took pride in the house would be an understatement. She believed that the appearance of the house was a direct reflection of herself. It was as if her whole identity was tied up in how clean and pristine our house was kept. And our house stood out from every other house on the block. Our yards were the neatest, our lawns were the greenest, and I swear the house itself sparkled. <laughs> Curb appeal, baby. Our house had it in spades. Now, let's talk about the house that my wife and I bought in 2003, the one where we're living now. 
this house never really had that much curb appeal to start with. What attracted us to it was the backyard and the neighboring woodlots, not necessarily how the house looked from the road. What it did have was a half dozen trees lining the front yard. They didn't hide the house, but they did draw attention away from it. If you were driving by the house at 30 miles per hour, you would notice the trees before you would notice the house. However, not long after we moved in, the power company came knocking at our door. They were in the neighborhood trimming any trees that were interfering with the power lines, and our trees were not only interfering with the power lines, but they were directly under the power lines, so trimming them wasn't really an option. The power company wanted to cut them right down. We told them to uh, go ahead, do what you got to do. A few days later, one of our neighbors complained very loudly to my wife as she was outside getting the mail. How dare we cut those trees down? Yeah, as if it was our choice. Yet the same neighbor that was so concerned about a few trees hadn't said anything when the previous owner built an illegal addition on the side of the house. Let me tell you about this addition. We didn't find out until after we moved in that there was a grand total of zero permits. Zero. Zilch. Nada. Big goose egg. Nothing was filed with the building department for this house. And that meant that the addition, plus all the other renovations that the previous owner had done, were all technically illegal. Anyone who has seen our addition has asked us if it used to be a garage because, well, that's what it looks like. It looks like an attached garage that is being converted to a family room. And oddly enough, there is some truth to that. The addition was indeed a garage, but it used to be on another part of the property. When the previous owner severed the lot, he took that garage that was on the parcel that he sold, and he moved it over, board by board, and tacked it onto the side of the house in order to build the family room. The addition doesn't match the architectural style or even the color of the original house. The house is red brick and uh, has a natural colored flagstone facade around the front picture window. The addition has blue siding and it looks completely out of place. There aren't even windows in front to break up this dominant wall of blue. And this monstrosity takes up about one third of the frontage of the house, so um, it's pretty conspicuous. The trees used to take attention away from it, but now they were long gone. Besides the ugly addition, the house also lacks a paved driveway. The open house was in the winter when everything was dead. In the summer, however, we have come to find out that the driveway, uh, it, it comes to life with grass and weeds that spread amongst the gravel. Some Roundup would take care of that problem, but we live on a watershed, so I don't like using chemicals. Instead, I use a weed whacker to cut down the grass and weeds in the driveway, and that will add something like another hour or so, to the chore of cutting the lawns. And we never completely get rid of the growth in the driveway. It's always there. We moved into the house in April, and I planned to have a garage built by that fall. And with the garage would come a driveway. A low-maintenance, weed-free, paved driveway. But that just wasn't meant to be. The money we had earmarked for that project quickly evaporated. So... Where did our money go? Well, first, there was the roof. We knew when we bought the house that it needed a new roof, and we knew that we wanted to have a garage built, so we kept out some of the equity from the sale of our old house to pay for those two projects. 
I had a rough idea of what I expected a roof to cost, but it turns out that I wasn't even close. It was a lot more expensive. And part of the reason for that was the previous owner had only used 3 8 inch oriented strand board, OSB, for the roof sheathing on the addition. Not only is that too thin, it's also the wrong material. We had to go over that entire roof with plywood in order to bring it up to code. So the final cost of the new roof ended up being at least double what I originally expected it to be. Second, there was the air conditioning. This was an unplanned expense, and with summer rapidly approaching, air conditioning was a higher priority than a garage. There was a very large window-style air conditioner unit on the second floor, and we figured that the people who had been living in this house were able to manage with that, so we should be able to manage too. But we found out after we moved in that it didn't work. We should have tested it, but when we bought the house, it was the dead of winter, so air conditioning was pretty much the last thing on our mind at the time. It turns out that the house was also cooled by a chiller unit in the basement that operated off of the water pipes used for hot water heat. Hot water in the winter for heating, cold water in the summer for cooling. But the system was never explained to us. All I knew was that there was this large piece of machinery in the basement that seemed to be constantly running, and it wasn't keeping up with the demand for cooling the house anyway. Plus, we later found out that it was on an overloaded circuit. As a general rule of thumb, a circuit should only have 12 fixtures. 12 plugs or 12 lights or some combination adding up to 12. Anything with a motor, like a fridge, for example, should be on a circuit by itself. The previous owner had tapped into one of the original household circuits to add a fridge, plus the chiller, plus some additional plugs, so there was something like 15 or 16 items on this one circuit including a couple of things that were supposed to be on their own. It was just as well that we stopped using the chiller when we did. It was a disaster that was waiting to happen. At any rate, we jumped in with both feet and invested in an air handler in order to provide central cooling for the house. It was a pretty big investment, and between that and the money we spent on the roof, our cash was not only gone, but we also found ourselves in a significant amount of debt. Any hope of building a garage and getting a paved driveway was gone. And our problems were just beginning. We would soon discover that this house had some very serious issues, and we just didn't have the financial resources to deal with them. The new air handler was installed in the side attic upstairs. This is a one-and-a-half-story house, so the second floor has cathedral slope ceilings and knee walls and side attics. In order for the installers to have access to run the ductwork through the side attic, they had asked me to remove the drywall from the knee wall. That was when we found out that the existing insulation was not only in horrendous, horrendous shape, but it had also been installed directly against the roof deck without allowing for any ventilation, and that's against our building code. Now, I checked with the roofing company, and they told us that if we did not address this, they would not guarantee our roof. The roof was a pretty big investment, and we had spent extra money and got 35-year shingles, so losing the warranty on the roof was just a... It was too big a price to pay. It would be cheaper to renovate the second floor. 
Besides, uh, our own comfort depended on us taking care of this insulation and ventilation, and that led me to gut the entire second floor. Meanwhile, kind of while this was going on, I was also planning to paint the home office, which is in the addition. As I was prepping to paint, I noticed that the switch plate was sticking out from the wall, ever so slightly. So I took a look at it and I thought, well, you know what? If I replace that device box with a shallow one, I could get it to fit flush. But I ran into a bit of a problem. I could not make sense of the wiring. Keep in mind that by that time, I had done a lot of basic household wiring, so I knew what I was doing. But there were more wires in that device box than I expected to see. At that point, I could have, or maybe should have, hired an electrician to take a look. But I figured drywall was only 10 bucks a sheet. So it would be cheaper for me to remove drywall so I could see what was going on behind it. So I removed a sheet. No answers yet. So I removed some more. And I kept going around the corner until I was on an exterior wall and got a good look at the insulation. Which wasn't very good. And the vapor barrier, which... The vapor barrier... It was only 4 mil thick, not 6 mil as required by code. And there were gaps at the seams. There was no overlap. The seams weren't taped. So this vapor barrier wasn't doing any good whatsoever. Well, one thing led to another, and soon the entire home office was gutted so I could fix up the insulation and put up some proper vapor barrier. And all of that gave me a pretty good idea of what the rest of the addition looked like. <laughs> not very good. This addition was not well built at all. Well, we soon realized that the addition needed a lot more work, and it didn't take us long to come to the conclusion that it made more sense to rebuild it rather than try to fix it up. At that point, I vowed that I was not going to put another single dime into the existing addition, since any of that money would just end up in the landfill anyway. Moving on to the front porch. This was something else I had to deal with. About a year or so, maybe two years after we moved in, I realized that the wood of the front porch was rotting. So I took a sawzall and a sledgehammer and demolished it. Now, our house is in L shape. The original house is in L. The front bedroom kind of bumps out a few feet. Uh, the addition also bumps out several feet. And that turns the L into a C. So the porch spanned in between the bedroom, the front, uh, the, the front bedroom, and the addition. And it was attached to either end. So it, it didn't make sense to replace the porch yet since the addition was going to be torn down. Better wait until the new addition is built and build a new porch at the same time. So anyway, in the, in the first two years, we had half a dozen trees cut down. There was a hole where our porch was taken out. Our gravel driveway was still a weed-infested mess, and we made no investments whatsoever in the curb appeal of our house. That's what our neighbors could see. What they couldn't see was what we had to deal with inside. We didn't have the use of our entire second floor because it had been gutted. Our daughter had to sleep in the living room, which is fine when she was a toddler, but that arrangement lasted until she was seven years old. For six years, she did not have her own room. 
We also went a couple years without any insulation on the second floor. (laughs) Talk about a vicious cycle. We had very little cash flow and we were trying to pay down our debts. So work on the second floor ground to a halt. We couldn't really afford to buy insulation and without insulation, our heating bills literally went through the roof. And that put further strain on our finances, keeping us in debt so we couldn't afford insulation. You get the idea. We were digging ourselves into a financial hole. Finally, we said enough is enough. We hired a contractor to finish the second floor. Debt or no debt, we wanted to get it finished. However, this contractor and I, we had differing opinions about what was meant by finished. He pretty much stopped once the drywall was up and ready for paint, leaving the trim and the floor all unfinished. But that was just as well, because it was soon after that that we found out the house had serious structural issues. The previous owner had taken out a supporting wall on the main floor. We knew that, but he had not re-engineered the structure, which was, well, that was a surprise. And we had to take care of that structure before we could take care of anything else. It took my father passing away in 2008 and my inheritance to finally put us on the solid financial footing that would allow us to finally make our house habitable. We were now able to fix the structural problems as well as make some other improvements and finish the second floor so that our daughter could finally sleep in her own bedroom. But even then, all that investment was inside the house. The outside, you know, the part the neighbors see, that was still being neglected, even more so. And at least one of our neighbors wasn't very happy about it. During the big renovation in 2009, the contractors were here five days a week. One guy had my permission to park his truck on the front lawn near the front door, so he had quick and easy access to his tools. While they were working, a small chunk of our front yard served as their workshop. They had their table saw and other cutting material set up outside, which helped us keep down the mess inside. Well, spring rolled around and the grass started growing. I didn't want to cut the grass while the contractors were here. First of all, the one truck was in my way, although I guess I could have cut around it. But what if they needed to get something from their trucks or take something to the trash dumpster? Wouldn't I be in their way? I I, I was just thinking of the contractors. Or maybe I was thinking of my neighbors and I didn't want to add the noise of the lawnmower to the noise of the power tools. Or... Maybe I was thinking about safety and I didn't want to risk running over any construction debris in the front lawn. Or maybe I was just more interested in what the contractors were doing than I was in cutting the grass. (laughs) Any excuse to put off cutting the grass, it's not exactly my favorite pastime. On the weekends when the contractors were not here, I had no excuse, except maybe the weather. I know that our front lawn was pretty saturated for a while. In fact, the one contractor had to call for a tow truck when he got stuck, and that left a pretty big rut in our front lawn. The scar is still there. At any rate, I had not yet cut the grass, and it had been growing for a few weeks. And that was when I answered a knock at the door. It was the town's bylaw enforcement officer. And I don't think he was a cop, but he looked like a cop. I don't know. I... Can't remember exactly what he said. He either asked me when I was planning to cut the grass, or he asked me if I planned to cut the grass. 
I told him I just hadn't got to it yet. He looked at the grass, and then he looked at me, all judgmental-like, and he told me that neighbors are complaining. Of course, he couldn't tell me which neighbors, and that kind of bothered me, because surely the neighbors could see the work we were having done. Surely they understood. If not, I could have at least apologized to them and offered uh, an explanation. Apparently not. You, You know, if you have a complaint, you can knock on my door and talk to me. You don't have to rat me out. I would have understood if the bylaw enforcement officer had been driving by and noticed that our front lawn was overgrown and issued a warning on his own. But the fact that one of our neighbors complained, well, that was a little more upsetting. I I still don't know who it was. Everyone's a suspect. But again, I will point out, the previous owner builds an illegal 750-square-foot addition and nobody says anything. Old Dougie doesn't cut his grass for a few weeks and the cops are at the door. <laughs> Go figure. Bottom line, though, this was my fault. I should have taken care of the yard and I take full responsibility for it. Ironically, I had planned on cutting the grass that day, but uh, now it looked like the only reason I was cutting the grass was because the I had my wrist slapped. The uncut grass certainly did not earn us any points with the neighbors, who were no doubt already fed up with looking at our eyesore. It's just made matters worse. As I record this episode, it's 2015, 12 years after we bought this house. We are presently consulting with an architect and getting the ball rolling on completely tearing down and rebuilding the addition and building a garage. Finally. But it has taken us 12 years to get to this point. Look, here's the thing. What we paid for the house, plus the money we have already put into repairs and improvements, plus the money we are planning to invest in the new addition, all that money, that adds up to a lot more. And I mean a lot more than what this house will be worth once all is said and done. We're we're trapped. It's enough to make a grown man cry. And believe me, I have shed more than a few tears over our situation. But at least things aren't as bad now as they were before my dad passed away and left me his modest estate. By the time we found out how extensive the necessary repairs were, We were way upside down in terms of our mortgage, and there was no way out of this mess, at least not that I could see. Every time I uncovered another problem, the value of the house decreased. Okay, I shouldn't say there weren't any options available to us. There were a couple, but they weren't very good ones. Option one, we could have tried to sell the house as is, just washed our hands of it and taken the loss. The problem is, we never would have got close to what we paid for it, and a half-gutted house is a tough sell at any price. The other downside is that if we found a buyer, we would no longer have a roof over our heads, and we would still owe the difference between the remainder on the mortgage and whatever we'd received for the house. Declaring bankruptcy would not be an option because we have retirement savings from contributions that I have been making consistently every month for the last 20 years. And as much as I don't want to touch that money, I would have been left no other choice. The second option. Now, this was suggested to me. I can't believe anyone would suggest this, but 
we could have done a quick flip. Just put the house back together again, covering up any problems that we had uncovered. The flaw in that plan is that I have a conscience. I just couldn't do that to another family. And ethics aside, I am also a very lousy liar. We never would have got away with it. Plus, we would have been opening ourselves up to possible litigation for fraud. Speaking of litigation, we could have tried to sue the previous owner or even made a claim on the title insurance, but that would have involved lawyers in court and likely a long drawn out legal process. We didn't want that. Don't make waves. We wanted to just fix things up as we went along without drawing attention to all the problems this house has, because that might have resulted in work orders and the building department breathing down our neck. Besides, Lawyers cost money, and who knows how much that process would end up costing us. Suing the previous owner would have been like trying to get blood from a stone. They originally sold the house because they needed the equity to pay off unexpected medical bills. As for the title insurance, I'm not sure if we could have made a claim. I recently consulted a lawyer, and his opinion was that we did not have a case, but I don't necessarily agree with his reasons. I actually think we had a pretty strong case, but chances are we waited too long. Had we got the survey like we were supposed to from the previous owner back in 2003, we might have been alerted to the fact that the addition encroaches on required setbacks from the road and the neighboring woodlot. That may have been enough for us to submit a claim on the title insurance to at least offset some of the cost of rebuilding the addition. But we never got that survey, even though it was on a table at the open house. (laughs) You might find this somewhat amusing. On closing day, at the lawyer's office, we quickly rifled through the paperwork, signed what needed to be signed, and grabbed the keys. The movers were waiting for us, and time was money. It wasn't until later that we realized that the survey was not in with the paperwork. It should have been there. Our offer to purchase specified that the seller would provide the survey. The seller had modified that clause to existing survey, but no problem. There was a survey on the table at the open house, so we should have got that. But it wasn't in with the paperwork. Even if it was out of date, it would have at least given us some idea where the property lines were. So I contacted our real estate lawyer by email, and we went back and forth a few times until he finally informed me that because the purchase agreement indicated existing survey, existing survey. That meant, get this, the seller only had to give us the survey that was existing. If no survey existed, they didn't have to give us one at all. Besides that, he said that the seller insisted they had left the survey in the house. That wasn't the case. All we got from the seller was a letter about how they fed peanut butter sandwiches to the raccoons. (laughs) That's all we need. Raccoons hanging around when we have a one-year-old daughter and a dog, but that's beside the point. Bottom line, they had not left any survey in the house. So, see if you can follow this logic. The seller claimed they had provided the survey. The one, which according to our lawyer, they didn't have to provide because it didn't exist. It's like saying, I didn't shoot the guy, but it was self-defense. Our lawyer was supposed to be working for us, and he was no help at all. 
and I was just too ticked off to ever consider dealing with him again. So there we were. We, we didn't have a survey. We had no money left to pay for one because we'd already put money into the roof and the air conditioning, plus we were in debt. The thought of spending another $1,500 wasn't really all that appealing. We finally got a survey done six years later, but by then I believe it would have been too difficult to pursue any legal remedies. This is what we've been dealing with, a financial nightmare, constantly on the brink of losing our house and our investment. But what do the neighbors see? The neighbors see a weed-infested driveway. They see a hole where the porch used to be. They see an illegal blue-sided addition that doesn't match the rest of the house. And they see a house that has an appalling lack of curb appeal. What they don't see is the $100,000 investment that we have made in the house just to make it safe and habitable. And right now, that $100,000 investment is completely overshadowed by what is still wrong with the house. Our neighbors don't see what we are sacrificing in order to afford another investment of at least $100,000 for the addition in the garage. Even with these investments, we will not make our money back. A huge chunk of the money that we're throwing at the house is just to bring it up to the value of what we originally paid for it. So to my neighbors, I have two things to say. First of all, I am sorry. I am so sorry. I am truly ashamed of the appearance of our house and what you've had to look at. I wouldn't want to have us as neighbors either. Second, if you think our house looks bad on the outside, you should have seen what we had to deal with inside. Please try to understand. If it were not for all the problems inside, we definitely would have fixed up the outside a long time ago. But before we make it pretty for you, we have to make it safe and comfortable for us. After all, you only have to look at it. We have to live here. I truly want our house to be the gem of our neighborhood. I grew up in a house that was the gem of the neighborhood. My mother saw to that. My mother made sure that our house was the best looking one on the block. And living in a house now that does not have that same kind of curb appeal just doesn't feel right to me. Honestly, it almost feels like a betrayal of my mother's memory. But when funds are limited... I am going to invest on making the house habitable inside before spending money to make it look pretty outside. It's a simple case of priorities. I don't want to live in that house. I, I'm embarrassed to live in that house. I want desperately to at least bring our house up to the standards of the rest of the neighborhood. Now, my point with all this is not, it's not to make excuses, though I'm sure it seems that way. But it's very easy to pass judgment based on appearances. You need to keep in mind that there's always a chance that someday, because of circumstances beyond your control, you just might find yourself living in that house. So, how does your house stack up with the other houses in your neighborhood? Leave your comments on the show notes page at thumbandhammer.com. This is episode number two. While you're there, you can also sign up for the mailing list and be notified of new content on the website. 
And also, you, you can go to the contact page and drop me an email or leave a voicemail message. I'd love to hear from you. Any voice messages could be featured on a future podcast. Well, that's going to do it for this episode. I want to thank you very much for listening. And until next time, take care and be safe. Cheers. Cheers.